You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I'm the producer of this podcast. In this two-part series, Candace and Cher discuss what reenactments are, how we end up in them, and how to move out of them. Unhealthy reenactments cause pain to ourselves and others. The first step, understanding. Listen in to part two as Candace and Cher continue to discuss the dynamics of reenactments and the hope of writing a new story. Hi, Cher. Hey, Candace. How's it going today? Going great. Super excited about jumping back into our topic on reenactment for part two. Mm -hmm. I am curious. I know we don't talk about weather a lot, but I I just have to ask, do you still have a ton of snow or is it melted? Oh, no. (laughs) The snow doesn't really melt in Minnesota until like March. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and if we have some new listeners, you live in Minnesota and I live in Missouri. Yeah. No, we have a lot of snow on the ground already. So, yep, we're going to be white for a long time. Well, I was just tell you we're in the 60s today and have some sun. (laughs) I got to move south. What is wrong with my family? We stay in the cold north. (laughs) Well, you know, I would be happy if you move south. (laughs) Yes, I know. Well, I'll talk to my kids. I'll see if I can get everybody to go and then we'll go. Everybody, I get it. We don't move without our kids, right? Not anymore. Like you said, we are starting part two today of our reenactment series, a two-part series. And we've just been having a lot of good discussion about this. But before that, I do want to mention that we have a workshop coming up. We've been letting our listeners know it is a workshop called Can I Really Change the Art of Healing from Childhood Wounds? And when I say can I really change, what what we're saying is... We believe that change comes from staying on the healing journey. And part of that is understanding our brain, our bodies, our hearts, our minds. And then you have created a technique or I don't know, what would you call it? A technique or a practice? I think a practice where you are able to help not only yourself, but other people kind of tap into some of those unconscious drivers that can help people understand even where their pain and shame might be coming from. It's only going to be what an hour and a half long. We've made it very affordable and that's going to be on January 23rd. We are going to have a morning time and an evening time. So hopefully that will give people some more options on what would work for them. Yeah. And just come over to our Facebook page at Processing Trauma Out Loud and sign up there. Well, I think what we can start out today with is something that I believe I read last week, but just what is reenactment? Can you... Maybe share. I'm, I'm going to just read it again. We kind of came up with this definition. Reenactment is finding ourselves compelled subconsciously to repeat the same scenario over and over. And that scenario can include our behaviors, our thoughts, the sensations that we're feeling in our body, our beliefs, our emotions, our perceptions. Finding ourselves compelled subconsciously to repeat the same scenario over and over. These are realities of the limbic brain that cause us to reach for the familiar patterns to gain a sense of control. 
Mm-hmm. It's all done subconsciously. So often we're not even aware of it. And we just find ourselves sometimes getting frustrated with, I wish I could do my life differently. I keep doing the same things over and over. And it just feels like no matter what I try, nothing works. And I can't figure out how to get into patterns that are the kind of patterns that I really want to experience. Mm-hmm. You know, just even mentioning how our brain works, right? Of what fires together, wires together. And and so we, we are in the highest developmental stage in our childhood where our brain is growing. And so those patterns that kind of get put in our emotional template, if you will, are the things that will become familiar to us. You know, as as we've been doing some research on this and Sharon and I say this periodically, but I want to say it again, Sharon and I aren't clinicians. We're not necessarily experts, but what we are, are women who are doing this work. We yeah. read, we keep the conversation going, we put our tools into practice. And so part of us bringing these topics to our listeners is to just provoke curiosity and to actually not only curiosity, but hope. And as I was doing a little bit of research on reenactments, because I I start geeking out a little bit and I just start reading and coming across the idea that Freud brought, really brought this to the forefront, but he called it compulsions, which I thought was very interesting because that is what a reenactment feels like, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a compulsion, like our, our bodies. I mean, we really do feel like, well, and the reason why is because it's, it's in our, it's, it's unconscious, it's in our subconscious. And so we don't even know. Yeah, it's written into our limbic brain, right? And so it's like every time we're confronted with the similar situation, and that can even be something like something we smell, a tone of mm-hmm. voice, right? Something that we see a particular color. I mean, sometimes it's, little clues that our brain picks up on often that we are not aware of. And all of a sudden we find ourselves doing something again that we wish we weren't doing. And it's because it is literally wired into the circuitry of our brain. So for example, when I smell that smell or when I hear that question, it's like in my brain, it's like ding. And I do the same thing again, because that is the neuropathway. The only way really that is going to happen subconsciously. And so that's why we keep doing the same things over and over. And I love how you said earlier about how we were created with this capability so that when we experience love and goodness and kindness, That is what is wired into our brain and our brain latches onto that. And that's what we then replay over and over. But when we have experienced wounds and particularly in childhood, like you were saying, when our brain is being developed, these neural pathways are very embedded. And this is the way we are going to live our lives until we have some desire for change and then some awareness of what's going on. And even then, as we were talking about earlier, like there's no such thing as arriving and getting to this place where 
we don't ever do it again. We are on the journey of living a more compassionate life mm-hmm. or living a life where we're experiencing goodness and freedom more and more. But as long as we have skin on, we're still going to mess up. Mm-hmm. We're still going to reenact. I mean, that is our reality. And in some ways, like if we can also just accept that, it's easier to have kindness toward ourselves when we do mess up. Uh, yes, because we we won't shame and judge ourselves into real change. So like these reenactment patterns that we get in for for a long time, it takes a while to even notice that we're in them because they're normal. But eventually we start to realize they're causing issues. I think I said this in the last episode that we may recognize, why am I always drawn to this type of person? But if if you think that that's just the way it is and there's nothing you can do about it, and for many people, we have thought that like, oh, just it is what it is. But then you start hearing like, oh, no, this is a reenactment that you can begin to move away from. And I want to say there's something about those reenactments, right? Where a part of your brain is still trying to complete a story with a different ending. So really recognizing our reenactment patterns can be a gift. When we realize like, oh, now I can have a different story. I don't have to let my limbic brain take over. And so what what is kind of the first step in looking at your own reenactments? Yeah, I think and I think we've kind of identified four or five pieces of what it means to walk into dealing with our reenactments. And I think first is this awareness that I'm re I, I am reenacting. I'm I'm finding myself doing the same things over and over. And that might mean creating conflict in my relationships or appeasing rather than speaking up or sabotaging my success. But when I recognize that, hey, I'm starting to realize I'm doing the same things over and over, and these things are hurting me. And so it's like that awareness, we might not even have the vocabulary, but that awareness that reenactments are occurring over and over, and I'm not okay with this. I would like to change. Maybe I even have tried to change and feel like no matter what I try to do, I can't seem to get a different result. Mm-hmm. So I think awareness is is the first really big and important step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the reenactments, even though we come to see that we don't like them and they cause us pain and they cause others pain, we, we have to remember that at one time, it's the way we operated for a sense of safety and to feel in control. And so we can really bless that skill or the way that we learn to do that and recognize that it is now problematic. Because in some ways, the very things that we reenact that maybe are hurtful in a different scenario, that might actually be our gifting in some ways, right? Oh, yeah. The person who can fight against injustice and speak the truth and be loud. Well, in a different situation, 
that those very same qualities can bring conflict or hurt. And yet in in the other scenario, there's gifting there. So yeah, it's it's I love that you said that, that we can bless that we have these struggles because there's a reason why we adapted or adopted that way of living. Well, I, I want to just do a quick example here that, that came to my mind. Let's look at the child who has parents who really have a lot of conflict, okay? And when it gets tense, this child always goes and hides in their bedroom, shuts the door, maybe turns up the music and just can't bear hearing people that he or she loves having this conflict. And it happens frequently, right? So this child's development will be any sign of conflict or tension. You hide, you walk away, you protect yourself. Well, that's how that child learned to regulate and find a sense of calm and safety in their own body. So this child gets married. This is a reenactment pattern right here. Any sign of conflict that you will have when you're married, you retreat, you hide, you feel the similar feelings of not being safe. You don't know how to engage a conversation that has intensity. Yeah. It's a problem today. Yeah. And just as that child may be escaped the situation and went to their room and turned toward, let's just say books. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. maybe you escape the conflict and go and pick up whatever it is that you are researching currently, because you are researching something currently. (laughs) Right. Also, let's use the same situation, a home where there's a lot of conflict between the parents and a different child, maybe a sibling of that same person, instead of going away, moves toward and (laughs) yeah, yeah. And gets in the middle, right. And says, Hey, Hey dad, that's not what mom was trying to say. What she was really trying to say was blah, blah, blah. Right. This is the person that moves toward it and tries to fix or Mm -hmm. tries to make sure that everybody gets heard or beautiful gifts. Mm hmm. And can also be problematic if whenever there's conflict between someone in your life, between people in your life, if you run toward that to fix and Mm -hmm. make sure that it happens the way that you think it should, that can then be problematic too. Yeah, because then, then there's this kind of this burden you feel on you when sometimes one, it's none of your business. And two, it's not helpful to be intrusive in somebody else's conflict, even though you're feeling burdened that somehow you have to help them work it out. That, that's such a great example. I'm glad that you showed the other side of that, which is actually more me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then we can have the other, si- the, the third sibling. Okay, let's keep going here. <laughs> right. Who, who always pops up with the joke in that moment, right, of trying to diffuse the situation and then goes into their adulthood. And anytime that there's a stressful situation, rather than being able to walk toward it in a healthy way, trying to work through it, they turn toward humor to try to just diffuse it. So it's all of these patterns that we could we could go through all of the typical roles that children play and all of them are going to create 
patterns of reenactment in adulthood that came straight out of the stories of childhood where they felt a need to, well, not even a need because these things happen subconsciously Mm -hmm. to just respond in ways that help them feel safe and help them regulate their body. And let's take a second to mention right here. Okay. We're talking about consistent, repeated over childhood, the developmental years. We're not talking about this happens sometimes, right? In real life with, with parents and children. This is, this is more of a scenario that's played out over and over where those neuropathways get developed. Yeah. So you said the first one would be awareness and then let, let's keep moving through that because I think this will be helpful. Yeah. I think the second thing is curiosity. Once mm-hmm. we become aware that we have reenactment patterns going on, then to move toward that with curiosity is kind of what we're already talking about in a way, but I wonder why I am this way. Hmm. I wonder why I always do this. Hmm. I wonder why, even though I've tried to change, I can't. Being curious. Hmm. I wonder if there's a story here. I wonder if there's some trauma around this. Getting curious about why am I this way? Why do I keep doing this even though I really wish that I wasn't doing it? If we're not curious, I just want to ask this to you. What do we do? We keep doing it. We may get frustrated. We may, we go into dysregulation. We go into hyperarousal or hypoarousal, really, particularly if these reenactment patterns are bringing pain, which generally they, they do eventually start to bring pain. And then that self-judgment piece. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. We get hard on ourselves. Like, why am I this way? Yeah. And I think I wanted to say we cannot find change or freedom if we are not aware Mm-hmm. And we also cannot find change or freedom if we are in a context of judgment, mm-hmm. self-judgment. Yeah. And so getting curious is really important because then we can come without judgment, but just asking those questions of, I wonder why I am this way. I mean, what what caused me to do life this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of how I do that more. I know you do that more. We We've had friends who it's fun to listen to those stories where they're like, you know what, you know, six months ago, this is what I would have done. And now I'm like going, Hmm, there's that sensation in my body. And, and it's connected to a story and it, it is, it's painful, but there is a hopeful, fun aspect to this. It's like, here's what's coming to me. It's kind of like going on a treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Sometimes when we find the treasure, it's not all um, (laughs) sparkly. It's not all sparkly. It can be, there can be pain there, but the pain is old pain, really. It's pain that we have already lived with. And so if we can go there and open, Mm -hmm. open up the stories, open up what we find and begin to sift through it, it's, Mm -hmm. it, it brings freedom. I'm glad you said that about the old pain. And I can't remember who said this quote. Maybe you remember, but whatever feels hysterical 
those hysterical feelings, whether extreme shutdown or extreme panic and anxiety, whatever is hysterical is historical. So we have awareness, we have curiosity. What else do you suggest? I think go slow. When we begin to work on our reenactment patterns, anything, but let's just use that. It's like when we begin to have awareness, we can want to just charge in there and tear it apart and figure it out and hurrah, freedom, you know? (laughs) I just raised my hand. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I was wondering what that meant. Yeah. I want to get it taken care of yesterday. (laughs) Right. And celebrate like, yay, it's that one's over now, you know, like, But if we can slow down everything when it comes to trauma, everything was too fast, too much, too hard, too fast, no care. So whenever we're dealing with old stories, slowing down is so important. So just really slowing down and feeling like it's okay if it takes me a while to get through this. Mm-hmm. It will take me a while to get through this. We now know that the brain has neuroplasticity, meaning it can change, meaning we can create new neuropathways, but they don't happen. It's not like as soon as I recognize what it is that I've been doing and determine I want to do it a different way, like it, we cannot just make a new neuropathway in a second. It takes time. Yeah. Well, and it actually, even though we can, it does take longer than it did when we were children. Yeah, it does. And so, yeah, I, I know the, the phrase, I believe you've shared this several times, but I love it. The slower we go, the faster we heal. So now we're slowing down and we We're meeting ourselves with gentleness, softness, tenderness, all of the things that trauma stole, Mm. really. We're meeting ourselves in this new place, right? Yeah. And then what? I think then, and, and maybe even this can even be a part all the way through, but vulnerability. Trauma causes us to feel a lot of shame. And shame always makes us want to hide and pretend and perform. And vulnerability is when we choose not to hide and pretend and perform, but when we open up that part of our lives to someone else's eyes and allow Mm -hmm. them to see the real us. And this can be hard. This can be, there can be a lot of agony here and it requires a lot of courage to open up these places where we have felt that we are dysfunctional or bad, not good enough, Mm -hmm. hurtful. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to let to open that up and let someone else see see us. We have a mutual friend who says something to the effect of, "We all mess up. Can we just get over ourselves?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really love that. It's like it gives it, it that has helped me just give myself permission. Like mm-hmm. I can screw up. I can mess up. I can make mistakes. I can do things that are unkind. But if I can bring that and then let other eyes, the the trusted eyes, eyes that I've gone slow with, and they have proven that they are trustworthy and that they can, I mean, this, this is a process of learning who is safe to be vulnerable with, but it's so imperative that we find people. And for, for you and I, we, 
we have hired people. (laughs) (laughs) Initially, (laughs) we have hired people that are trained to know how to hold our stories. I needed that. I have needed that in my life. And now I have friends who also are trustworthy and have shown me that they are trustworthy. So I can come forward and say, I'm really struggling. And I know that their eyes will turn toward me, not away from me. And Mm -hmm. So vulnerability with someone else is so, so important. It is so important. And I am going to be a little transparent about what something you said about how scary and painful it can be to be vulnerable. So as I, I mean, I'm kind of in this space right now where I am getting really good clarity about my narrative, my development, my patterns. Well, for me, that has lifted burdens off of me that I've carried for years because of the confusion and the ambivalence and the vulnerability can be this, this desire I want for other people to understand. Mm -hmm. Like if you just understood my story, then maybe you would stop judging me. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that makes me feel emotional. So I've, I've got stories of living in that space of knowing I've had a lot of judgment towards me. Yes. Especially when, and I'm going to just name this, I think it's okay. (laughs) You and I both share stories where we have had public exposure and where judgment has come toward us in very public ways that have been just so deeply hurtful and profoundly impacting in our ongoing journey. And I think that kind of judgment that comes when people do not, number one, they don't even know the the story. They don't know the truth of the story. They don't know. They don't have any sense of what are the the deeper in my soul dynamics, right? And yet unleashed heavy judgment, heavy and harsh and cruel that that has been frankly very difficult mm-hmm. to overcome and and be free free from. And and now for you and me in in our relationships in our pearls group, we're not women who are hiding. Like there's nothing. I, I feel like I have not one single part of my life story that I would not feel that I could bring there and know that again their eyes would not turn away their eyes would turn toward and there would be curiosity and compassion and care and attunement and all of these things that we have longed for since our earliest days and years of life and how in many many ways we were missed because of the circumstances of our of our childhood stories to be able to experience that now when we come with vulnerability is, and it is just a gift. Yeah. And I think that when we get there ourselves, right, when we can weep over our own stories, when we can celebrate over our own growth, over our own wins, I've noticed for me that when I see someone in situations, whether it's on social media, maybe I hear about something, maybe a movie, 99% of the time, I find myself going, hmm, I wonder what that story is behind that. Yeah, 
there's not judgment, there's curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know how long we've been going, but I do. Do we have a few minutes to share an example? Let's Where are we see. at? We're we're okay. close, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I, I will just share because I, I do believe we told people last week that we'll share an example. When Cher mentioned that trauma is too much, you know, so too much, too fast, too soon, too hard. Our little bodies, hearts, brains can't contain everything. So we find ways to survive and protect and all of that. So I grew up very fast in every way. And, you know, through sexual abuse, through the dynamics of my parents' divorce and what that looked like for many years after that. And I began to play a role in my family of the one who needed to fix everything, needed to figure things out. If I could just get someone to see or understand or know they can take this information or they can use this care and do better and get better. And so here I am the youngest and I had people looking to me. So I have letters of when I was 16, 17 years old that I wrote to my parents. And I don't say this to shame my parents or dishonor them. I love my parents. I'm not blaming them. I'm just sharing my truth. I have letters that I am giving them direction on things that they probably need to do to make things better for them. Now, my life's in shambles, but I had already played that role. So a lot of my reenactment patterns are relationships that I felt drawn to because I would see some way that somebody needed help. The truth is like we all need help to some degree. But the reenactment for, 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 for me in that was if they saw me as someone that could help them, then they saw me as someone they needed. Mm. Yeah. So the reenactment is the feeling of being needed, being wanted, being sought out. Mm. And it became problematic over the years. Of the really the gift that God's given me was exploited at a very young age. It became a way that you knew that you were worthy of love, mm-hmm. but you had to make sure that you were powering up and showing up constantly in order mm-hmm. to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say worthy of love, but also some, as I got older, the conflict that it created still kept me connected in communication. Yeah, Even the conflict kept me connected. And that's part of why reenactments can feel really perplexing and confusing because it's yeah. like, why do I keep doing this thing that, yeah, there's goodness in it, but at the end of the day, it just causes pain in my life too, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Many of them, m- m- most of them. <laughs> when I started becoming aware and getting curious, when I looked at my developmental years and as I grew older, share the only thing that I can say is there was a puzzle there, but I couldn't even see the puzzle pieces. Yeah. It had a thick darkness over it that I, I couldn't figure where any pieces fit together. It, it's been that complicated for me. And if that sounds dramatic, it might be, but 
It's just how it felt for me. And now I'm seeing the puzzle pieces. And in some ways, I think every reenactment feels that way to the person, right? It feels confusing. It feels like a puzzle and it feels hard to figure it out. And then when you start to get insight and go slow and be kind to yourself and become vulnerable, you can begin to see real change happening. Then we can move into our relationships with so much more authenticity and receive the genuine love mm-hmm. and care, give and receive the genuine love and care that mm-hmm. our, our body and soul is really longing for. Well, and and for, for us to be able, so like for me, like being able to, like I see a situation, right? Which I have many around me. And I I slow down and I really have to say, is this a situation that I can authentically offer something and not need anything back or that I have something of care or goodness to give? Or am I moving towards this to try to regulate myself, but that's not what they need? Really good, really good awareness. And that is really where we want to be able to be, right, is to see the pull of the reenactment and then be able to step back and come at it a little bit more from our prefrontal cortex and start to ask the questions of, is this really needed right here, right now? So much good conversation here, I think. And I feel like it's really hard to stop and we could. <laughs> I don't actually, I don't think let's, um, let's just go ahead and let people know that this is going to be a little bit longer episode. I, I really don't want to leave out your example. People can choose to shut this off if they want, but I, what do you think about continuing to go? Yeah, sure. I, I'm very happy to do that. I think for me, and I can think, obviously, we, we both can, we all can think of several different areas of reenactment. But one thing that has shown up in my life a lot that I have experienced a lot of pain over is I really have lived my, I can say almost my entire life with the felt awareness that I was very lonely. I always have felt very lonely and longing for connection with someone who, where there was goodness, where there was kindness. And I would reach, I would look and look and reach and reach. And many times throughout my life, the second that that person turned toward me and moved toward me, I would shut it down Mm -hmm. in some way. I would run or I would do something unkind or I would just disappear. Mm -hmm. And I have had many people throughout my life just come to me and say, what, what happened? I thought we were getting connected and all of a sudden you're not available or you're not here. And I would know that something happened, but I didn't know either what happened. I just knew that I needed to get away. I felt the need to get away, to shut it down. And I did this for years and years throughout my life of wanting meaningful relationships. And then when they would, they began to turn toward becoming meaningful relationships, I would do something to sabotage it, to shut it down. And being able to recognize that that was a reenactment pattern, become aware of it 
get curious about it, begin to wonder why is it that when people turn toward me with kindness, Mm -hmm. I run. And I have many, many connections to childhood where goodness came at a high price, where things that felt tender and loving to me came with a very high price. And when I could get curious and recognize the stories that surrounded this, I could then begin to really feeling that in my in my voice as I'm sharing the story, but I could begin to stay present. And when I now when I am in relationships and I sense that desire to move away, I am able to stay present and to get curious and to hold the line, as it were, and to really ask myself, do I need to run? Is there really danger here? And then I can turn toward my young parts and just say, we feel like we're not safe, but we're safe Mm -hmm. and then be able to stay engaged. And so becoming aware and slowing down and getting curious and all these things that we're talking about here have been so helpful for me. Selfishly, I'm thankful that you've chosen to do this work because I don't want you to run away from me. Yeah, no. And I, and I'm not, and and there have been (laughs) times, right? There have been times because we are in a very close friendship, plus we're doing this work together. And, you know, there are times, there have been a few times and we've talked through them because I've I've chosen vulnerability. I'm not hiding. I'm not pretending, but I choose vulnerability. I have been able to, and to say, Hey, something happened and I am feeling insecure, but I want to just bring it and be honest and open. And then you move toward me, not with your old ways of needing to fix it or power up, but coming with gentleness and listening and attuning. And in our friendship, we are learning how to create new neuropathways and break out of our old reenactment patterns. And it has just been good. So this makes me want to go back to, and then we, we can, you can close it out, but it makes me go, it makes me go back to that. The reason, the hope, right. That we have in this is that when we become aware, get curious, know the story, have compassion, understand our brain, and we're vulnerable. We enter into relationships and we we do practice. We practice in a way that this is the rewriting of the story. This is the closing of that trauma loop where back then we we had no control. We were hopeless, powerless, voiceless. And today you get to bring your voice to me and yeah. say, this is how I am feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. I don't go into fix it mode, but please help me understand more. I want to, I want to be here for you. It's uh, I heard what someone, I think it was on Adam Young's podcast. It's been a long time ago, but they said something like, sometimes this feels like magic and it's not magic. But there is something magical about it. Yeah. Not every day, but <laughs> yeah, not every day. Not Moments every day. when it comes together and you recognize that you are doing life differently. And when you recognize that you are experiencing the goodness that you have longed for your whole life, those are the moments that you just feel like, wow, what happened here? Yeah. 
So good. And I know that we've gone over how, you know, a little bit longer than we normally do, but that's okay. I think this conversation, I actually think we'll probably have more conversations on reenactment. I think that it it's a hard topic, but I, I think there are people who are saying, can we please have these conversations? Yeah. This is, as they say, where the rubber meets the road, right? Because this shows up in our most important relationships. And this is where we want to be able to make changes that are really good for us and for them. Yeah, love it. Really good to be with you in this conversation. And I'll just say in our kind of closing comments for our listeners that we're just inviting you toward this topic. And we invite you toward just awareness and then toward curiosity. Mm. What is the story that is connected here? And can you come toward your young places with not judgment, but instead with tenderness and compassion? And will you find the courage, which you have, to reach out to someone who is worthy or who you can at least take a, a little risk with toward being vulnerable and opening up some of these places that feel messy and hard so that you are not alone in it. Mm -hmm. That is what we would want for you. So, yes, I agree. Love you so much, friend. Love you too, Candice. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Kayla Paxton, and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Audit Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.